I want to extend a warm welcome to all of you, especially guests or visitors. Welcome to River West. My name is Adam, one of the pastors here, and um, let me invite you to pull out your Bible this morning. Get your Bible out, open to the book of Psalms. We do that every Sunday because we, we love the Word of God and we believe God's going to speak to us through His Word. So pull out your Bible, let's get into the Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are coming now. We want you to have the written Word there in front of you today. Psalm 62 is where we're going. And we're in this series in the Psalms this summer, and our focus is prayer. So here's what we're doing. We're not simply studying the Psalms, and we're not simply reading them. We're, we're, we're asking the question, how can this Psalm be used this week in my life to help me approach God in prayer? How can I take the words of this Psalm and drop them down into the middle of my prayer life? Or maybe even more appropriately, how can I take my prayer life and drop it down into the middle of this psalm and begin to approach God with it? And so we're taking individual psalms each week that are helpful and practical. And this morning, we come to a beautiful psalm, Psalm 62. I know you're going to love it. And here's what you need to know this morning before we read the psalm. Think about this for a moment. Ponder this. Sometimes true prayer can only begin when the words end. Think about that for just a minute. Let me say it again. Sometimes the true prayer can only begin when the words come to an end. I'm talking, of course, about the role of silence in prayer. Critical ingredient of prayer. Maybe you didn't know that, but Psalm 62 is going to teach us that silence plays a critical role in my prayer life. If prayer is about coming into the presence of the living God because I want to commune with him and know him and seek him, then sometimes I'm only really going to begin praying when my words cease. When was the last time that you went behind a closed door and found a quiet place and postured yourself in God's presence? And as you prepared to pray, you made a conscious decision, I'm not going to speak. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in this place of silence for more than just a couple of seconds. But what if, what if it started to go for a minute or five minutes? It would get really awkward, wouldn't it? That's, we're not used to that, are we? Long periods of silence is difficult for us. It's foreign. It's challenging. When I was a young man just getting in the ministry, I remember reading through a book called The Celebration of Discipline with some other people in ministry. It's a classic book on the spiritual disciplines by Richard Foster, and he had a whole chapter devoted to solitude and silence. And in that chapter, he talks about how it, silence is so challenging for us because we're so used to using words in our life. And he challenged the reader. He said, what if you took a day, imagine if you did this, what if you took an entire day and you took a fast, not from food, but from talking, but you still have to go to work. You still have to, now for some of you that would not work, I realize, but imagine if you took a whole day and you didn't talk. And I was a young, young guy, so I was like, I'm going to try this, you know. So I had a little notepad, and I was walking around, and people would ask me questions, and I'd write stuff on the notepad, you know. I'll take premium in my car. There you go. And the guy was like, you are the weirdest person. But anyway, and I took an entire day fasting from words, and you know what I discovered? This is really challenging. I, I realized how often I use 
words to accomplish things in my life, even things that are not always that noble. I'm trying to shape people's opinions of me or, or situations. I use words to fill in spaces that feel awkward to me. I use words to correct misperceptions that I think might be true about me. We use words in all kinds of ways. It's even true in prayer. Here's what Richard Foster said. I'll just read one little quote. It's on the screen so you can read along with me. He said, one reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We're so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we are silent, who will take control? God will take control. We will never let him take control until we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. Isn't that true? There's this moment, and I'm going to invite you into this moment this week in your life where you come into God's presence and the decision to take a posture of silence requires that you trust God. You say, I'm letting go, Lord. I'm letting go of control. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm just going to sit in your presence and I'm going to be quiet. It's like silence and trust are two sides of the same coin. And that's what Psalm 62 is all about. Will you look at it with me? It tells us at the top that the psalm is to the choir master according to Jeduthun. It's a psalm of David. As I read it, will you let it wash over your heart and your mind? Here's what David wrote, Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. It's a marvelous psalm, and what you discover in reading it, Psalm 62 is a psalm for people who are experiencing distress. This psalm is a psalm that expresses trust and confidence that God will protect you when you're going through something extremely painful or challenging. You come to a situation in your life where you feel overwhelmed. Things aren't going well. There's something painful happening at work or in a relationship. 
Or perhaps you discover in your life that you have an adversary, someone who wants to batter you and knock you over. You find that you have an enemy. Do you know where to turn in the Psalms to pray about that? When I was a young man, I remember reading the Psalms and thinking, I don't really have any enemies, you know? But the Psalms talk about enemies all the time. And I was talking to an older guy and I was like, I don't feel like I have any enemies. And he was like, you're young, believe me, okay? (laughs) Give it some time, all right? You'll have enemies soon. How about you? You get into a situation where someone is coming after you. Do you know where to turn? Did you know that there is not a single situation in this life that's not been anticipated by the Psalms? There's somewhere to go to find language to enter into God's presence and to pray with greater clarity or intentionality, meaning. David was in an extremely stressful situation. He was experiencing an assault in his life. Someone was after him. Most scholars believe that he wrote this psalm out of a situation in which his own son, Absalom, rose up to overthrow his throne. Imagine it. Your own son, Absalom, had, had mounted chariots and horses and an army, and he came into Jerusalem to, to kill his own father, King David, and David fled into the wilderness. And out of that experience, he wrote Psalm 62, where he learned to pour out his heart and trust. And what we find in this psalm is we're given all of these beautiful images of trusting in God. It's in Psalm 62 that we get the idea of God being a rock of our salvation, a, a firm foundation. Psalm 62 gives us the image of God as a fortress, a a pillar of strength. Psalm 62 teaches us to think of God as a refuge that we can hide under. David learned how to trust God. Where did he learn to do that? I'm going to suggest this morning that he learned to do that in the silence. There were critical moments of silence where he sat before God and he He learned to trust God. If you were to take this psalm this week and you were to pray it, one of the things that you would discover is that there are markers in this song that actually ask you to stop and pause and stop talking. Did you notice that odd little word in the right column? That little word, do you see it? What's that word? Say it to me. Talk back to me. Selah. Did you notice when I got to that word that I didn't say it? What did I do? in that moment. Anybody notice? I paused. I paused. It's kind of a, it's an interesting word. It's a, it's a musical marker. And it, what it most likely means is to pause and to lift up your soul. The musicians knew this is the moment where the singer stopped speaking. And maybe there's an interlude, a musical interlude, but the, but the singers stop and whatever's just happened, they, they pause for a moment. And they reflect and they ponder. It's almost like a moment of soul silence. And David is writing the psalm and he puts these salahs in in critical places that divide the psalm into three pieces. And one of the things we learn is that David experienced something really powerful in those moments of silence. And the things that David experienced can be your experience as well. This morning, I recognize silence is is not something we're accustomed to. So I'm going to invite you to try this this week. Take Psalm 62. Go home. Pray it. Anytime you come to that Selah, just pause for a minute and let your soul go silent. You see that verse 1? He says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. It literally says, my soul is silenced. There's this moment where 
It's not just my mouth that stops talking, it's my soul that stops talking. And I just sit before God quietly. There are things that David experienced that you and I can experience, but we won't experience them if we don't begin to practice this. Three of them that I want to show you this morning. Three things that happened to David in the silence. Number one, deep emotion. You might want to write these down and take them with you today. Three things David experienced. Deep emotion, okay? The second thing he experienced was increasing hope. And then finally, David experienced a godly perspective. God allowed him to experience God's perspective about his circumstances. And it was almost like he went on this journey. He went from deep emotion into this place of increasing hope that led him into a place of a new perspective, a godly perspective. And that could be your experience this week. But let's look at each of those. So deep emotion, that's the first thing David experienced. Silence can give you the space you need in your life, in your prayer life, to get in touch with what's actually going on in your heart. What's actually going on in here? That's the first thing David experienced. You know, it's really interesting. If you look back at verse 1, David has all this stress and all this um, adversity, but he doesn't begin by complaining. He begins by deciding to be silent before God. It's not that there's not big things happening. David just decides, I'm not going to start there, Lord. I'm going to start in the silence. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to sit quietly. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to focus. And he was willing to live in that tension. Tough circumstances, yes, but a decision to sit in before God and, and not talk about them yet. And I think what happened is that in that moment, David got deeper in tune with his heart so that when he began to talk about what's happening, he was more connected to those experiences and how he felt about them. Did you notice how emotional this language is? Look at verse 3. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? That's the emotion of exasperation. When a psalmist cries out, how long? It's, you're, you're literally at a place in your life where you're not sure you can take it anymore. And you just cry out to God, Lord, how much longer? Have you ever felt that? I bet you have. Or how about Vulnerability. When David describes himself like a leaning wall and a tottering fence, this is powerful imagery. A wall is supposed to be strong and solid and set off the boundaries. But David describes his life like a wall that's just about to fall over. One touch and it crumbles. A fence that's so fragile, it's, it's moving. David says, that's how I feel. I feel so vulnerable. Like at any moment I could be taken out. Have you ever felt that in your life? It's not a great feeling. David feels indignation. That's where he goes in verse 4. He says, they only plan to thrust him down, and they're liars. They, 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 they speak falsehood. Do you see that? They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. There's no integrity. David started to feel righteous anger and indignation. Have you ever felt that? And so sometimes it's in that silence that you can actually begin to have the space to get in tune with your heart and all the things that you're feeling. And it can be a really fragile place to be. Today, I'm going to, this afternoon, I'm going to drive away. I'm going to go away to the beach and I'm going to do something that I do each year. I take a five-day retreat where I go away 
take my Bible, take my journal, I turn off my phone, I turn off my computer, I turn off it all, and I just have a, a retreat with the Lord, and it's always really powerful and wonderful. And one of the first things I do on night one is I carve out the entire first night, and all I do is I look back on the past year, and I try to remember everything that happened to me this year. Imagine if you had the chance to do that, right? What are all the things that happened to me? And not only what happened to me, but how, what, how did I feel about all those things? What were the different emotions that I've been carrying around? Am I in touch with them? See, the problem is your emotions are down there and they're bubbling up, but if you don't if, you're not, if you don't get in touch with them, they're controlling how you're behaving. They're controlling how I'm behaving. And if I don't figure out what they are, I'll never move forward. But that can be a really vulnerable place to be, which is why I think for most of us, we avoid silence before God with everything that's in us, right? We're just rushing at 100 miles an hour. We're tweeting and Instagramming and we're surfing the web and we're killing it at work. Our calendar is full. We're going, 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 desperately moving because we don't want all of those feelings that we're feeling to catch up. We know the moment we stop, we're going to get hit with a barrage of all of the emotions we've been carrying around, like a shadow in our lives, right? When I was a little boy, my twin brother snuck up behind me, I was like six years old, and he tied a string around my belt loop, all right? And to the other end of that string, he tied a rubber snake. <laughs> That's how we treated one another. It was beautiful, okay? And then he did what any true twin brother would do, right? He stepped back, and he yelled at the top of his lungs, snake. And what did I do? I ran for my life, and I discovered that's the fastest snake that I've ever seen in my life. And I was running around the yard, and the snake was chasing me. And what happened? The moment I stopped, that snake hit me, right? No matter how hard I tried to run. Okay, but that's sometimes, that's you and I with our emotions. We are just tearing through life, hoping to God that we won't have to figure out what's really going on underneath the surface. Because sometimes emotions hurt. I read this week one commentator, he described prayer. He said, for many of us, prayer is like this push-pull dynamic. On the one hand, we're always pushed towards God because we're created in his image and we love him and we want to know God and we want to be in his presence. So we're always feeling pushed into God's presence. But also, at the same time, there's another part of us that's feeling pulled away from God. There's a part of us that wants to avoid being in God's presence. And that pull could be external things, busyness and craziness and, and Instagram and Netflix. You know, you, you would spend four hours browsing Netflix so that you can watch Netflix for five minutes, right? And then you get bored and then you keep going. And so we fill our lives with all that stuff. But the real reason is underneath. It's all of this emotion that causes us to just crunch our life with busyness. So we're, being, we're also feeling pulled away from God. We want to be with God. We don't want to be with God. We want to sit in God's presence. We don't want to slow down because we know we'll have to really go deep. Push and the pull, right? And the problem is that if you don't 
stop at key moments and just say, Lord, what am, what's really happening? What am I feeling? You're never going to move forward. It's, I'm not telling you that all of your emotions are valid or good. Some of your emotions, God will say, feel that emotion. But some of the emotions that you're carrying, God's going to say, it's time for you to let that go. You've been carrying that around for 10 years, and it's ruining your life. You've got to set it down. Or God might even say to you, that emotion, you need to repent of that emotion and leave it behind. I think that's what happened to David. David gets to the end of verse 4. Look at it. He, his emotions build. You can feel it almost growing with intensity. And then what happens? He has a selah, and he stops. He's expressed it all, and he, and he sits before God, and his soul is silent. And then what happens? I think David had a breakthrough. Look at verse 5. He says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. One of the things you probably noticed is that verses 1 and 2 and verses 5 and 6 are really similar to one another. It's almost like David circles back and he says, I'm going to say the same thing. But there are a couple of critical differences. So first of all, in verse 5, David actually speaks now to his soul. He commands his soul. Soul, sit in silence. This is something I have to do. And if you notice in verse 5, David adds the word hope. He says, now what I'm discovering in your presence, God, is I'm experiencing hope. Isn't that interesting? And look at the next phrase. David says, he says, I shall not be shaken. Well, what's interesting is that up in verse 2, he had said, I shall not be greatly shaken. It's very noncommittal up in verse 2. I won't be greatly shaken. And then by the time he gets to verse 5, he's like, no, no, no. I won't be shaken at all in God's presence. And so David experiences this increased hope. That's what silence can do, the second thing. When you actually have time to be quiet before God, and you sit in his presence, one of the things you can experience is the space to have your hope and your expectancy in God's presence grow and change you and fill your heart with the things you need to move forward. And it happens often in silence. Have you ever thought about the fact that when we think of silence, we always define that in a negative. We always define it as what you're getting rid of like your words. So Webster's Dictionary, here's how it describes silence. It says, the complete absence of sound, the state of abstaining from speech, the avoidance of mentioning or discussing something. It's all negative. Abstinence, avoiding, getting rid of. But in, in the Psalms, silence is not about what you're getting rid of. Silence is about what you're adding. Silence is about, about what you're putting away. Silence is about what you're bringing into your life. And what you're bringing into your life is the presence of the living God. My soul, for you alone, Lord, my soul rests in silence. I want to be in your presence, God. So beautiful. Doesn't that sound like something you need in your life this week, to sit in the presence of the living God? Did you know that Elijah 
finally encountered the presence of God when he entered the silence. You know, it was in the silence that Elijah encountered the living God. Can I show this to you? Go back to 1 Kings 19. Keep your finger in Psalm 62 and go to 1 Kings 19. This will be a familiar story to some of you. It's a really profound, profound story. Elijah, if you know anything about Elijah, he had defeated the prophets of Baal, this big, this big affair where he challenged them to a duel and he had defeated them and then uh, the king of the day, Jezebel, had heard about it and he sent word to Elijah saying, I'm coming after you. And so Elijah retreated into the wilderness, a lot like David, and he found himself in a cave and God came to speak to him. And here's what happened, First Kings 19, verse 9. There he came, that's Elijah, to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Can you imagine a wind that's so powerful that it tears apart mountains and breaks rocks? It's graphic. But then the Lord says, but I, I was, that's not where I was. As powerful, as loud as that was, as much of a demonstration of dominance that was, it says the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a silence. It says whisper in your Bible, and I'm, I'm, it's too bad because the, literal, the Hebrew word is literally silence. What Elijah heard was the sound of Silence. Simon and Garfunkel got the translation better than we do. But anyway, here's the point. After all this noise and dominance and fire and earthquakes, it was the moment when Elijah heard profound silence that he encountered the presence of the living God. Amazing. I love that. And God invites you into that place. The purpose of silence is that your soul would go quiet and you could become more tuned in to God's presence in your life. And sometimes that means you gotta, you gotta turn down the volume in your life. You know, you and I are almost never gonna stumble into silence. It's not gonna happen, right? You're not gonna just wake up and go, wow, it's really quiet in my life. You're gonna have to figure out what, how to turn down the noise, you know? When you wake up in the morning, is the, do you, is the phone out immediately and the news feed is up? That's so noisy. It's just this constant barrage of things. Maybe you need to turn that down or turn down the radio, you know? Find practical ways to allow there to be some silence in your life. And not just five seconds, but maybe try a minute and then, and then push to five minutes and just sit with the living God, all right? The purpose is to become aware of God's presence. The purpose of silence is not to become aware 
of yourself, right? That's mysticism. That's what the world does. The world is all into mysticism and mindfulness. Have you heard the word mindfulness recently? It's like all the rage, all the buzz, mindfulness. But this is, this is different. Christianity is prescribing a kind of mindfulness where the purpose is to come to know God more deeply. I read this week a quote, and it really discouraged me. It was from a, a Christian author, and it reminded me that even mysticism can creep into the Christian church, all right? And so here's a quote from um, an author named Thomas Merton. Maybe you've even heard of Thomas Merton. Um, And it was about solitude and silence. And as I read this, I want you to tell me what's wrong with this quote, okay? Here's what he says. Not all men are called to be hermits, but all men need enough silence and solitude in their lives to enable the deep inner voice of their own true self to be heard. Can you hear it in my tone? Are you getting there? Okay, I'm going to try not to be sarcastic. All right. Their own true self to be heard at least occasionally when that inner voice is not heard, when man cannot attain to the spiritual peace that comes from being perfectly at one with his true self. His life is always miserable and exhausting for he cannot go on happily for long unless he is in contact with the springs of spiritual life which are hidden in the depths of his own soul. What's missing from that quote? God. God is missing from that quote. Are the springs of spiritual life hidden within me? Absolutely not. The springs of spiritual life are hidden in Jesus Christ, the living water. The purpose of silence is not for me to get more connected with myself. The purpose of silence is to go out and up and become aware of the presence of the living God. And I need it in my life. And so do you. Amen? Amen. This is an invitation today. Maybe it sounds intimidating. Maybe this is something that will be new for you. I, I guarantee you, if you were to take Psalm 62 this week and go into your room and close the door and pray and carve out some space, you will be blessed. You'll be blessed. And one of the things you'll get, finally, is you'll get a change of perspective. We look at it, Psalm 62 Verse 9 and 10, what happened to David was that God allowed him to go through a paradigm shift. And he was able to see the circumstances of his life through a different lens, through a godly lens. Notice the change. He says, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. David says, People of high estate, people of low estate, people with money, people with no money, people with a really important name or reputation, people with neither of those, people who are royalty, people who are not. It doesn't matter. We're all the same. You put us all in a scale, we're just a vapor. We just, it's like we're so temporary. There's nothing there. He says, people of high estate are a delusion. Do you see that, verse 9? It's just a lie. All the all the reputation, all of the, whatever your lineage is, all of that is just, it's just a lie. But look what he had said in verse two, or verse uh, three. Look what he was worried about. He was worried about being knocked down from his high position. He was consumed with his high position. And then he sat with God in silence and God said, David, that doesn't matter. 
It's meaningless. Your high position is, is just a breath. You're just like every other human being. And God said, let me show you your life and your circumstances from my perspective. That's what we need when we come into the presence of the Lord. We, we need God speak to me. I need to see this through your lens. How did he hear this? Did he get this perspective by thinking deeply or going into the springs of his inner soul? No, he heard the word of the living God. Look at verse 11. David, because he had time and silence, he was able to reflect on the word of the Lord. And this is what he remembered. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. The power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. And maybe for the first time, you've heard, you've heard those words. Oh yeah, God is powerful. I know God is loving. And we were so accustomed to words coming in one ear and out the other. But what if you slowed down and you really listened to God in that moment and you thought about those two words in your life? Maybe something would change for you. And you had time. Lord, I want to understand your word. Show me your word. Show me the significance of it. I don't want to hear myself. I want to hear you. Can I say something really interesting? Mindfulness and meditation and quieting yourself, those are not Eastern religious ideas. Those come from biblical Christianity. The difference is that in biblical Christianity, mindfulness and quiet and meditation are driving you to God and his word and his presence, not to a deeper understanding of yourself. Amen? Amen? So this is something we, we should practice, but it should take us to God's word, and that's what I want to invite you to this week. Take Psalm 62. Pray it this week. Stop at key moments. Take a break. Pause. Listen. Reflect on Christ. Reflect on his word and see what God will do in your life. I'm gonna pray for you about that right now and then we'll go to the table. Will you bow your heads with me? Well, Lord, we're so thankful for your word and we're so thankful for a psalm that would invite us into an experience that we might not normally gravitate towards. I know, Lord, for certain that silence is a challenge for me. I avoid it in my prayer life, and I pray for growth all throughout our church that this would be something we would practice this week. I pray, Lord, that the push towards you would overcome the pull away from you that we feel, that we would find ourselves being drawn into your presence this week and we would grow in our prayer. Thank you, Lord. And I, I pray that we would hear things from you and experience things in your presence that would empower us and change us and ignite our faith and transform us, Lord, that your church would grow, that our faith would abound and that and that we would shine brightly for you. That's our, that's our desire, Lord. Help us this morning as we go to the table to reflect on your power and your steadfast love, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.